Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 143. It's like, this is what people think. Like, if you manage your own properties, you can never take a vacation. I was gone for six weeks, right? And I'm managing 200 units Wow. by myself. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to The Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome podcast. I am Nick Troutman, your host, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today, we have another truly incredible show as I got to sit down with David Grabener as we talk all about real estate and going from being the youngest paddler to kayak down the Zambezi River in Zambia to building a real estate empire in Chattanooga, Tennessee. David gives us tons of phenomenal advice on how to get into real estate, scale into some larger properties, as well as how to find partners and get into some of the larger commercial deals out there. So if you guys are just interested in getting into real estate, I think you guys are going to love this. And even if you're a veteran real estate investor and want to learn how to get into some of the bigger deals, there's going to be some amazing value and incredible insight and advice from David. So very excited to share this with you guys and super intrigued and uh, just love learning from a fellow paddler who's also very heavily involved in the real estate world. So very excited. So let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is David Grabener. First off, David, thank you so much for joining me here on the Art of Awesome podcast. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty stoked to have you on as uh, I am a budding real estate investor, and I'm stoked to talk with you about real estate as you have this incredible portfolio of rentals over in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I am super familiar with. Um, and we connected online a little bit about real estate and the fact that you used to be a paddler yourself, which I think is super cool. I think you even said something about the fact that you were like one of the youngest paddlers to ever run the, the Zambezi. The Zambezi, which, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely like one of my top three favorite rivers of all time. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that and maybe how old you were. But maybe you can start us off by... Um, telling a little bit about your story and how you go from being the youngest paddler on the Zambezi into this real estate mogul in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, so it is kind of a, a crazy story. My parents moved me to Zambia. They were missionaries and we moved to Zambia when I was 12. And so when we were in Zambia, my dad decided to learn how to paddle. And he went down there to the Zambezi River to learn from Nico. And so he was doing, I was like, Oh, I want to do that too. So I was out there just like be playing between the rapids, like just above rapid six. Yeah. There's uh, a good spot there to learn. And that's where I learned how to roll. And I just like got a bomb proof roll. <laughs> and then, and then, then Nick was like, yeah, we can go down the river. And that's I like, awesome. didn't know really what I was doing, except 
when I flipped over, I just rolled back up. <laughs> that is so uh, so, cool. so yeah, that was uh, 14 uh, when I ran it. Um, nice. And at the time, he's like, yeah, you're the youngest to do it. I was like, well, I don't know. Um, but yeah. That's super cool. Nico Chasing was actually uh, the person that took me down in 2006. I'm trying to remember how old I was. I think I was somewhere around 16. So a little bit older than you. But um, yeah, such an amazing river. And and definitely love that place for sure. He's Nico is a rad dude as well. But but tell us kind of like how you go from there into into this real estate. So it it was kind of a, an interesting journey. So then I went to high school um, in Kenya. Then I went back to college in the US in Chattanooga, actually, which is outside of Chattanooga, I went to college. And then I moved back to Africa and I worked as a hospital administrator in the Congo. So then when I was in the Congo, I was like, oh, you know, I, I got really involved in this idea of retiring early, um, being financially independent, retiring early, the fire movement, uh, as some of you may have heard of it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, I really want to do that. And then I was looking like, oh, I could save money and invest in index funds. And that's going to take me forever to be able to retire. <laughs> so then I, was, well, I think I'll do real estate. And, and while I was over there, I talked to my dad into joining me in this adventure of buying rental properties. And so I was in the Congo and we found a, a quadplex in Chattanooga and we bought it together um, and it worked. I was like, oh, okay, this is working. We had that for about a year and then we got another one. Just the old fashioned way, like just save up as much money as you can to get a down payment, get a conventional mortgage, you know, and, and just buy them. And we did that. We, we kept doing it over three years. We got to 24 units. Um, okay. Just like both of us, just like saving our money for the down payment, living on such a little, I mean, I think I was living on like, $24,000 a year and a family of four. Wow. Um, but were you still over in Africa at the time? Yeah, I was or? over in Africa at the time. Yeah. Okay. Working as a hospital administrator. Um, but cause my salary was only 54,000 a year. So I, you know, I didn't have much money to, to play with. So I just had to save up as much as I could. And I was doing all sorts of things. Like I was doing like side hustles. I was bringing like phones and tablets to the Congo like when I would go back to the States or go to South Africa, I'd come back with phones and tablets and like sell them to people. <laughs> I was like selling them to the employees at the hospital, the local, and I would sell them on like credit. So like every month when I paid them their paycheck, like a little bit came to me. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, and I was just like using that as my spending money to help uh, not have to spend my salary. Um, but yeah, so I got to 24 units and then I moved back to Chattanooga and went full time. And then I blew up from there. Uh, once I started doing it full time, it's crazy how life changes. Now I have like 200, just over 200 units and uh, a lot of commercial property. Now I've, I've moved to commercial property. Oh, I forgot off the top of my head. I think like 350,000 square feet of wow. commercial property. Wow. And uh, so I guess there's a lot in there that I want to unpack. You've got a, a, an incredible story for sure. As far as the first 24 units that that you got, um, are those all kind of small multifamily, like duplex, triplex, quadplex, or kind of how did you, how did you go from there? Yeah, they were all just like small multi. So we started with a quad, then we got a duplex and another quad and nothing fancy. I mean, obviously things were a lot cheaper back then. You know, I was in Chattanooga and we were getting duplexes for like 80,000. Um, when we started, that was almost eight years ago now, I guess. Um, and yeah, 2014. Yeah. So July, 2014 is when I started, okay. um, got the first property and yeah, it was really nothing 
um, really nothing fancy. It was just those type of properties. I did stumble on a good strategy in the beginning of going directly to listing agents instead of having uh, a buyer's agent. Yep. And I would be in the Congo, right? Just looking online, looking at listings. Then I would contact the listing agent and say, hey, I'm a local investor. I'm interested in that property. Give me the information. Then I would send my dad to go look at it. I'm like, oh yeah, my business partner will come take a look at it. They had no idea that I'm in the Congo because I was calling the Google voice number. Um, and yeah, that's how I was finding them. And once we started doing that, like the listing agents would start bringing us off market deals. So okay. like we buy one duplex from this listing agent and they'd be like, oh, I actually have two others. Are you interested in them? And then we would get a shot at them before they even listed them. Um, and that really helped um, to grow the portfolio, portfolio, not only to 24, but even after that, so I got a lot of properties doing that kind of thing. So when you're when you're going to the listing agent, are you then using them as a as a dual agent where like you're Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, essentially I, essentially I'm unrepresented, right? They represent the the seller and I know that like they don't have my best interest in mind and I have to look out for myself and but it doesn't take that much experience to be able to look out for yourself. You kind of know what you're looking for. Um and I would say even your buyer's agent they're really just looking to make sure that you buy something. They're not always looking out for your best interest either because they want the commission. Right. Uh, so you always have to look out for yourself. And I felt very comfortable like that. And it's easier communication when you're directly talking to the listing agent and you will get a lot of information out of them that they probably shouldn't tell you, um, but they just slip it out. And so I, yeah, if, if just an advice here, like if you're ever selling a property, don't tell your listing agent anything like don't tell them like what your bottom dollar is that you would take or don't tell them anything just say this is the price and tell them to get you offers like don't give them any information because that information can leak to the other side very easily it's such solid advice because i've actually i found that myself i've gone same kind of idea where i, I would reach out to listing agents looking for properties knowing that uh, they're the ones that are obviously the most uh incentivized to sell it uh they want to you know offload it and get that get that commission check as well and it's totally true where they'll they'll just tell me information without even really like you know trying hard i'll just be like oh hmm yeah i'm not sure about that price or whatever and then like yeah they'll say like oh well you know they might go a little bit lower or they might do this or they might do that and i'm just always amazed at the, like the amount of information that you can get just by calling somebody up and asking a couple of questions yeah and, and so my goal always was to be the best buyer possible so that I get them to like me better than the seller, because, you know, sometimes sellers are a little bit funny. They have these quirks. They're annoying. You know, they have to deal with these different things. But when then this buyer comes along, who's talking directly to them and is like really easy to deal with and doesn't have these, these, you know, like um, illogical hangups on different things, just like just trying to get the deal done. I mean, they love it. They want to keep bringing deals to that type of buyer. And what really surprised me is when I moved into commercial real estate is that's the norm in commercial real estate. Like the norm when you're buying a shopping center is that the listing agent is going to just email it out to their list of buyers and they're going to sell it to one of the people who's already on their buyer's list. Most of the times you're not having two brokers involved. Hmm. Um, so I, it's like really, really common in the commercial stuff in the residential people when I was doing it are like, kind of like, uh, that's a little bit odd, but yeah. And so now when you're, when I'm buying commercial, just that habit of being the best buyer is so helpful because now I have like the broker who gets all the listing and then like, Oh, if they want to sell something, they want to sell to me because they know that I'm like the easiest buyer in their buyer's list. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And and again, just love the advice of being the best buyer that you can be because exactly like you said, that the better buyer that you can be, the more likely you are to close all that stuff, the more likely that those listing agents or sellers themselves are going to want to reach out to you being like, well, we've got something else to sell. I know that you know David is going to buy or he can close or all that kind of stuff. So amazing advice to just think of like, how can I be the best buyer that I can be? How how did how did you go from so this twenty four you've got you come back were you in the DRC by the way the yes okay Democratic Republic of Congo that's right yeah that's interesting I haven't been there but I've heard it's it's a wild place for sure uh, I'm oh, sure man. You... yeah it, yeah it's crazy it uh, it was like I say like so I was a hospital administrator and you deal with a lot of uh, government interference in your work when you work over there let me just put it that way yeah. Um, so like every month I have like these government inspectors coming to try to get bribes out of me and like all this issue or that issue or this issue. So it, it was always something. Um, and now I just come back to the States and run my own like real estate company and the government never even bothers me at all. I just do a tax return once a year. It's really different. That's awesome. A total different world for sure. So you come back from the DRC, you, you move back to Chattanooga then. Am I correct on that? That's right. And you've got 24 rentals. How do you go from there to the 200 plus? And I don't even remember exactly how many square footage of commercial you said that you had, but like, what's kind of that evolution or what was your next steps to kind of um, increasing in volume and kind of going from maybe the smaller duplex quads into the bigger commercial properties? Yeah. So um, when I came back at 24 units, and that gave me a little bit of cash flow. And I told my dad, my dad had been managing it before um, and he'd been working full time and he did good. But I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, take my property management fee and manage it myself. And then there was another opportunity to manage about 115 units for this other nonprofit that had these properties that were being not optimally managed. Like they had their own in-house management, but it wasn't being optimally managed. So I didn't really know anything about property management, but I jumped in right away. So I have my own 24 units and then I'm managing 115 units. And there's like all these issues I'm trying to fix and I'm learning so much, but it gave me um, credentials like kind of above my pay grade because now I'm dealing with over a hundred units. And when I go talk to people and I talk to, you know, sellers and stuff, it's like, oh yeah, I manage a hundred, you know. Uh, 30 units and, da, 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 da. and you know, it just gave me a lot more experience and a lot more credentials. So I, I gained a lot of experience and I knew how to deal with these things. And so then I started just keep trying to buy like the small multifamily, but then I stumbled upon a large package that was off market that I just got by connecting with listing agents. And that first package, I, I put it together with one other investor, like me, my, me, my dad and another investor, she brought the money. And then I was like, oh, like, I don't need to worry about saving up the money for the down payment. I can just find, if I find good enough deals, I'll find money there. And it's so true. Like when you're growing and I, I recommend people start small and do the, the hard work in the beginning and get the experience because that's invaluable. Like I wouldn't start it any other way, but now that I did that, I knew that I could just go get more and more properties and not have to worry about where the down payment's coming from because other investors would believe in me what I'm doing and I would have good enough returns that I could share those profits with, with other investors. And in the beginning, they were just small, like, you know, small joint ventures, uh, essentially, you know, just, yep. just a few of us. 
doing joint ventures and, and lots of creative joint ventures as well, like just set up in different ways. But then I started moving into more like traditional syndication model to get to the commercial properties. Gotcha. So when you're doing the syndications now for the commercial, how many investors are, are a part of that? Yeah. So the largest investor pool I've done is 16. Okay, that, wow. was for, that was for an $11 million shopping center that we purchased. And we raised uh, just over $4 million for that purchase. So that's, I, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's even, that's not that many people for $4 million. I kind of stumbled upon like my, I prefer to have people who have more money and put more into the deal and I'm dealing with less investors. And I, I just found it, it, the people, and it's funny, the people who once they're willing to do it and they have more money, um, they're less headache than people who have a little bit of money and want to do the deal. That, that makes perfect sense there for sure. Yeah. And I, I also imagine that the people with more money probably understand, um, you know, returns and, and, you know, risk and all that kind of stuff versus someone who's got a lot less money and, and really worried about like how quickly are, you know, you're going to double it or, or the exact return on, on, you know, cash on cash or something like that. So when you're going out, like the, the first deal that you that you purchased with uh, with one other money partner, how are you kind of approaching them to help fund the deal? Like, are you going there with essentially your your spreadsheets or, or kind of like showing what kind of return you're going to get or like how, what's even the approach to finding a, a money partner? So uh, especially in the beginning, it does help to have a little bit of track record, right? That's why I said like, you know, do, do your work in the beginning. I mean, maybe you can find someone who trusts you and you haven't done anything, but it, it's a lot easier when it's like, oh yeah, we know what David's doing. Right. right. Um, and so then I had, you know, I had this track record. I knew this individual and I went there just focusing on what kind of return I thought she would get. So I said, okay, like if we structure it like this, this is what your likely return is going to be. Um, I think I was projecting like a, a 10% cash on cash return and a 20% IRR, you know, if we sold in like five years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I projected that and I, and I gave her an equity share that would give her that return. And she was very happy with it. Like, that's, that's great. And then, you know, a couple of things happened. The market went even better than expected. So I really blew out the returns <laughs> on that, uh, on that deal for her. And on the second deal, like really blew out the returns on it. So she's really happy. So she's always going into the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. And now it's not even like, it's just like, oh, you have another deal. Yeah, I'm in. Um, but I think if you really need to focus on not what you're getting, as the person putting the deal together, but focus on what the investor who's putting the money in, what they need to get out of the deal, what they're comfortable with. Um, and you can't always satisfy everybody. You know, people have different desires, like they want more equity or they want more guaranteed return or preferred return or, or whatever. Like you're not going to satisfy everyone, but, but just go with a plan saying, I think this is what people would be happy to get and just focus on what they're getting, not what you're getting. Right. Um, yeah, I, lo I love that idea behind not focusing on yourself, but instead focusing on like the value that you're giving, right? Um, that makes perfect sense for sure. And yeah, so so you're going, you're reaching out, you're you're getting investors. 
obviously I'm assuming that it starts to snowball at that point where, you know, you've got more and more credibility. You're getting more and more investors. You can reach out to other people and say, Hey, do you want to come in partner on this deal? That that's right. So, so it just like growing and then the confidence of like, Oh, like I don't need the money to in order to get the deal. And like putting deals under contract before I even know, do I have the money lined up to do the deal? Um, that, that, that helped. Um, and then I just, for the multifamily, I had to be creative. Uh, like we then got a 35 unit apartment complex actually, and we didn't use any other partners. We just got a line of credit and we used the line of credit as a down payment. And I didn't even think the bank would really let us do that, but they were like, oh yeah, no problem. Like, cause it was a commercial loan. It's not a residential loan. So we used a line of credit to use the down payment, the rest was mortgage. So we didn't have to come any money out of pocket and we didn't have mm. any partners in that one. Um, so that was one way we did it. Another way, we bought a 24 unit and with one other partner, it was a crazy purchase. We had to buy it cash. Um, we even bought it without a purchase and sales agreement, which is crazy. Anyways, the seller and the lawyer were ridiculous, but it ended up being, we bought it cash, 1.1 million. One investor put all the money in. We were 50-50 partners in the deal. In three months, we refinanced, I gave him all his money back, and then he had 25% in the deal and we had 75%. So that was like, he loved it. You know, he got his money back in, in like three months. It was a really unique situation, but yeah. So, and, and then, so now he's got 25% forever, but his money's back. And in fact, we refinanced again with another mortgage already. And he got like another, like, just like a, I think like $60,000 just from the refinance. So it's tax-free. So he's loving that deal, but I'm loving it too, because I was able to keep 75% of it and it still worked for him. Um, But that's cool. But that came from me knowing what that property could do and me knowing what I could do with it. And that's why I didn't really stray out of Chattanooga with my multifamily, because I knew exactly what I could do and what I could rent from something. And I was managing myself. So there was no, no way in my mind that anything was going to change, right? Like I know this is what I'm going to do with the property. Um, and if I'm going to another market and I'm just using a property manager, it's a little bit more difficult. If you get a good property manager, it could work. You get a bad property manager, then your multifamily deal is sunk. Yeah. I also love how you're, you're getting creative on the financing. It's, it's, I find that so important to one, get creative, but two, how often that somebody looks at a real estate in particular, but at a price tag of a property, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't afford that. If it's like for like $1 million, but it's like, oh my gosh, that's such a daunting number. No way could I afford $1 million. But they're not necessarily taking into account that, you know, it could either be a 20% down. So then it's really just 200,000 you need to, to find, or you can maybe get, you know, even better terms from a local bank or something like that. And, and I love how you were able to figure out how to get a line of credit and then for the down payment and then still get a mortgage on it. And it's really coming up with a multi-million dollar property with zero money down. Uh, it's kind of mind blowing to even think about. And uh, it's incredible the the power of creativity. Yeah. And, and because I did every time I do a deal like a different way, like I'm not stuck in how a deal has to be structured. Um, the, the one thing I've never done yet, not maybe I will, but I haven't done is I never taken any acquisition fees. I like everything to be aligned. And I think when it's equity, it's more aligned because I only get paid if I get the property to perform right. um, instead of just, you know, taking acquisition fees up front or disposition fees. Like I've never taken any fees. Maybe I will in the future, but I never have. 
um, because I like it to be aligned. But then, so I did the the $1.1 million deal. With that same investor, we went and did another $3.2 million cash purchase um, because this seller didn't want to allow um, any like appraisals or in-depth inspections. Like they didn't want the, the, the renters to know it was being sold. Okay. And so I had to put it under contract and then I was able to walk all the properties, but just like walk them. Like I did my own inspector, like not like an actual, like full inspection. So I was like, well, I was getting it for a good enough price that I knew, okay, I'll look for major things, but I'll deal with the little things that pop up that I might've seen if I did a more detailed inspection, cause I'm getting such a good price, but went to that same investor and I was like, Hey, got this other thing. And he's like, yep, let's do it. And, and at first I thought, you never really know how much money people have, right? I never right. ask my investors like, so how much money do you have in the bank? <laughs> Let me see if I can get it all right. So like you, you get surprised when someone says they'll do 1 million. And then I went back to him and thinking, maybe I'll have to do it with a couple people. And he was like, no, I'll do all of it. And wow. like, okay. Um, and then we did that. And then we refinanced him out um, in like five months in that deal as well. Um, he still has, we didn't get him the full amount back because we haven't done the full rehab on all the units. Um, there's still more value to be added there, but because um, that just happened last year. But yeah, so every time you do something creative and you think a little bit creatively, yeah, it just leads to more and more deals that you can do. That's cool. Yeah, the the combination of the the creativity and building that track record is is pretty key here by the sounds of it in your story. Can for the listeners, can you just explain a little bit of your process with the refinancing and kind of what you're doing with the the properties? It sounds a lot like the burst strategy to me, but maybe just for our listeners who don't know what that is, could you just explain that? Okay, so let me explain a couple of things if if people are new to it. In in real estate, there's something called the net operating income. And that's essentially the income that the property generates, not including the debt payment. So if you bought it for cash um, and you didn't include your capital improvements, your net operating income is how much money you make. Um, Commercial properties, you know, multifamily, strip malls, office buildings, whatever they are, once they're a commercial property, they're valued based on a combination of the net operating income and how much people are willing to pay for that income, for that asset in that market. and that's called a cap rate. So if a cap rate, to explain it pretty simply, is if a cap rate in a market is 5% for that asset, it means people, if they bought it for cash, they would get a 5% return. Everyone's debt's a little bit different, so it affects the return, but they're basically saying people are willing to buy that asset and get a 5% return if they were to buy it cash. Um, so every time you increase your net operating income, you increase the value. Um, so what I'll do is go into a property and improve the net operating income through mostly, you know, you do repairs, but a lot of it's just management or filling vacant units or, or whatever that is. And once you get the net operating income, now you've, you know, got a bigger valuation on your property. You go to the bank and get a refinance that even if they're giving you 75% of the value of the property, because you've gone and improved the net operating income so much you can pull all your money out. And sometimes you can even pull more. You can get like extra money back in your pocket if you do it correctly. Um, so it is essentially like the burst strategy. It's just on a much bigger scale uh, when you're doing commercial. And yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. It definitely bigger scale. And, and I like how you're, you're able to 
pull out more money with the refinance by also just like essentially managing it more Better. efficiently. Yeah. So you, am I correct that you're managing all of your 200 plus units? Like yeah, personally? I am personally. Um, I have been for a while. I'm, I'm probably thinking of possibly moving away from managing my uh, residential properties. Um, it's just become like, it's quite a bit of money. Like that's what I lived off of. So I didn't, all my money that was made in like the profit just kept getting reinvested. The only thing I was taking out was an 8% of my gross rents. That was my property management fee. And that's what my family's been living off of for the last whatever, four years. Um, and so like that, that was my life and, and that enabled me to keep investing, investing, investing. Now I'm at the point where like, okay, I don't need to keep investing, investing, investing. Maybe I want to spend more time with family. And I do this year, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with family. I mean, I spent six weeks in the Dominican Republic the beginning of this year, and we're going to be going a lot. And when I was there, I was like, you know, I could make it work. Like I could make my, even though I spent six weeks, like this is what people think. Like if you manage your own properties, you can never take a vacation. I was gone for six weeks. Right. And I'm managing 200 units wow. by myself and uh, one assistant. Um, and she, <laughs> she works part-time. She's a college student who she's helps with my bookkeeping. And then I have another person who helps with the showings. Um, but those were my only people on my team. Right. And I'm managing 200 units. So you definitely can do it. It's not like it's impossible to manage your own units and go on vacation, right? That's, that's, that's false. But I was like, oh, it would be nice to be able to go on vacation and not have to really be thinking about, oh, I have to handle like, oh, like the toilet's clogged. I got to make sure that that's getting taken care of. Oh, the AC's out. I got to make sure that's getting taken care of. Oh, that unit's not being turned quickly enough. I need to figure that out. So I'm just kind of like taking that away, but not necessarily, um, because I think it will make me more money. I think I'll actually make less money on my properties because I think a property manager is not going to manage it as efficiently as I have been. But I I will be kind of moving away from that just so that I have more time with my family. That's really the only reason so that I can right. be free to be more time with my family. Um, my commercial properties. So I've transitioned. We haven't really talked about how much my commercial properties, but now, and I, I, I looked it up. It's, it's actually, I have 426,000 a square feet of commercial properties, almost wow. half a million square feet. Um, by yeah, in a, in about two months or so, I'll probably be at half a million square feet of commercial. What does that all consist of? Um, I have two office buildings. I have, and then a bunch of strip malls. So yeah, um, so like some of them will have one has a Kroger grocery store with a couple of shops next to it. One has an Aldi grocery store with a couple of you know shops next to it. Um, um, I have another one with like a CVS and a planet fitness. So like just these, just these little strip malls or some of them are not too little. My largest one is 150,000 square feet, wow. um, of shopping center space. Um, so those type of things, um, some of them I manage myself and some I have property management because those are much easier to manage, uh, the commercial stuff. So I will still manage a couple of those myself. I'll use the property management company and I don't worry about losing money because they're pretty easy to manage. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, been, you, been doing it all myself. That's why my handle is DIY underscore landlord on Instagram because I've been doing it all myself. I was like, maybe I'll have to change my handle if I'm not managing my own properties. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love your your social media content and, and the story is, is incredible. I hear a lot in, in a lot of things, but definitely in real estate to like, 
niche down, like figure out what you're, what you're good at or what you want to be good at and, and just kind of like stay focused at that. And it sounds like through your story, you started with the, the small multifamily, then from there evolved into the larger multifamily deals and, and now have evolved into the more commercial strip mall, office space, stuff like that. Do you, would, would you like agree that you should like niche down in, in a certain space or do you kind of just under the impression, like, you know, figure out until you're, you're proficient at something and then like, then take the steps to continue growing and evolving? Yeah. So I, I, I look at my skill set and what I actually really want to do is just find cash flowing assets that, de- you know, dependable cash flowing assets. That's what I'm looking for. And then I buy it with other people's money. Because if I can find, it doesn't really matter what the asset class is, as long as I can, you know, predict accurately what the cash flow is going to be, and then I achieve that, then it doesn't really matter what the asset is. Um, so that's really what I'm going for. Now I use my creativity to get deals and find assets, and and you know, like I, that that's my strength is my creativity to make things work and and figure out deals. But I'm just trying to make decisions of whether I think an asset's going to cash flow, and that's why I kind of moved too commercial because in the apartment space, you know, you can still get a duplex here and there and it works. Right. But in the large apartment space, those things are essentially not cash flowing anymore. Hmm. People are buying them at cap rates that are so low that it only makes sense. If the value of the property goes up, if the value of the property stays at the same, or it goes down, those people are not making any money. Um, and I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in assets that generate cash flow because that's, that's what I'm looking for. Now I make most of my money on my appreciation of the property, right? By making it a better asset. That's where I make most of my money. But it's that basis of cash flow that gives me the confidence to say this is a good investment and this is going to be safe for my other investors. Right. Because if we're all just guessing on Bitcoin or whatever, right? There's no cash flow there. I can say, take all my investor money. Okay, let's just go dump it all in Bitcoin right now. It's on sale. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But there's no cash flow to support it um, over the time as it goes up and down. Um, if you buy a cash flow and asset, if it, it goes up, great. If it goes down, doesn't really matter because you'll still have that cash flow. Right. That makes perfect sense. And and it seems like a, a much safer bet when you're using other people's money to do that versus kind of more the gambling method of like, you know, wishing and hoping and praying for appreciation versus like, well, I know that it's a stable cash cash flowing property. And regardless what the market does, um, we're still going to cash flow and, and make money off of it. So that makes perfect sense. I'm also guessing, um, but are you being a little bit more conservative when you're running your numbers, when you're using other people's money? Yes. Yes. I, I that, that's the one thing, you know, people say like, risk and investment and like, oh, you, you, you have all your eggs in the in real estate basket. Aren't you concerned about the risk or whatever? For me, I personally invested outside of real estate about $125,000 that I saved up those first you know couple of years that I was doing it. Other than that, everything has been made in real estate. I have more than, I mean, I've made so much money more than I put in. I could lose it all now and it wouldn't matter. It still would have been the right decision, right? Because I've made, I've had such a great life so far and continue to have an amazing life. However, the one thing I would not want to do is ever lose anyone else's money. Yeah, I'll do whatever. I will lose all my money, all my properties to make sure my investors don't lose money. Um, that, that, that's the thing. And, and, and I think about that. Like I think about not getting into a deal where I wouldn't be able to make my investors whole if something went wrong. 
Like right. that, that, I, that is a, that is a thing. Like, I don't want to be able to put myself in a deal that I wouldn't be able to make my investors whole. Um, it might take me some time. I might be, not be able to do it right away, but I, I, yeah, have my you ever, investors can lose money. Have you ever had a scenario where it didn't work out the way that you had planned? Like whether obviously you're running it for cash flow, so you've got the cash flow there, but like whether, you know, the refinance didn't pull back as much as you were thinking or anything like that, or it took longer than expected? There so I always when I'm talking with investors, my projections, I always put that further out than I think will happen. So for example, in when I told the investor about the million dollars and the refinance. I told them that we would refinance it within a year, right? And I did it in three months. Wow. Um, so I always, I always build um, like a conservative thing. My plan might be to sell it or refinance in in a, in three months, six months, a year, whatever it is. I'll put that further out when I tell the investors, so that they're always uh, surprised and happy that we outperform the expectation. And you know. Some of that's the market, some of it's luck or whatever, but so far I haven't had any things that haven't gone south yet or didn't work out as good as I thought. So far, everything has gone well. Now, that's, that's I'm awesome. still young in my investing career. Right? I haven't been doing it that long. Um, I'm sure there are things that are going to go wrong at some point, but when they go wrong, I only want them to go wrong in that, oh, they just got their money back and they didn't get that return they thought. Right. Um, that, that I will be happy. I mean, I'll be okay with if that's what goes wrong. Right. That that makes sense. And I'm assuming that, you know, running the, the numbers conservatively helps kind of keep you in that, uh, that safety space and have that safety net kind of set up there for you. Um, David, can you tell us a little bit about this commercial real estate mastermind that you've, uh, that you've recently launched? Yeah. So I've, uh, the launched the DIY mastermind for commercial real estate. And it, and it started because there's a lot of people who are interested in finding out how to do commercial real estate. I mean, cause like the properties I'm buying them, if you understand cap rates, like I'm buying properties at like an eight cap that are amazing properties in good markets where the, the multifamily in that same market is selling for like a three or a four cap. Wow. So there's a big spread and there's a lot of big players in this place, but there's not a lot of like young people, well, like people just starting up into the space. So there's a lot of people not knowing how to do it. And I want to help teach them how I do it. Now, I don't think I know everything. I basically just learned it myself because I didn't follow someone else. But I just want to share what I've learned. And I'll be doing that like once a month. We'll have a Zoom call. And then we'll, it's planned to be for a whole year. And also, we have a form in there where people can go in and ask questions and comment. And it's our own like private form that we'll discuss. And then I'll be bringing in experts as well to talk as well. Like I already have... Uh, a mortgage broker lined up to come talk to us and uh, a real estate broker come talk to us. So we're going to have like other people besides me talking, but I'm going to go through step-by-step. Step, okay. Um, what kind of lending is available? You know, how do you evaluate the property? How do you put deals together with other people's money? How do you, how do you structure the, the legal entity? Like all these things, like step-by-step step over a year's time. And hopefully people will see that they can do it and they'll start doing it. And, the really cool thing about commercial property is when you're doing bigger deals, there's a lot of space for collaboration and a lot of space for partnerships. So a lot of people, they might not think that they can do the deal because they don't have the money yet or the experience. But when you're doing a big deal, there's different value that people bring. 
And if you can find some value that you bring, or you come to my mastermind and you learn that value, even if you have no money, you could still be in the deal because you figured out how to find good deals, right? So you went and right. found amazing deals and then you brought it back to the mastermind group and like, hey, I found this amazing deal. Someone else who has the net worth so we can sign on the loan. Do you want to partner with me? And then we'll go find money and we'll do this together. And, and then boom. Yeah. So there's a lot of space for collaboration. I'm excited about that as well. That's amazing. So for anybody out there that's, that's keen or interested on that, where can they find uh you know, a link to the mastermind or, or yeah, if they just they go, yeah, if they go to my Instagram at DIY underscore landlord, um, if that's my Instagram and then they can just click on my link tree there and there's a link to the, to the mastermind awesome. on my bio on Instagram. I think I might have to, uh, to join that and check that out as well, David. It's, oh, and, oh, and it's a hundred bucks. I didn't say it's a hundred bucks a month. Um, okay. and like I said, a year commitment, uh, to get what you're going to get out of it. But, uh, yeah. And I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I think we're going to have a good time. That sounds cool. With, uh, I'd love to hear your opinion with kind of what's going on in the current markets. You talked about, you know, super low cap rates in, in um, larger multifamily. We've got some interest rate, rate hikes coming. We've got inflation rising. Kind of where do you see the real estate market going? And what is your plan for the next three plus years? All right. So we all know that real estate goes in cycles and there's corrections that happen. When that cycle is going to be, we don't know. Some people try to predict it, but we've never been able to predict it. So knowing that there is going to be a downturn in the economy and the real estate, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, you want to be in a good position when that happens. There's some signs people think that it's not going to happen soon. There's some signs like the interest rates and, you know, maybe conflict in, in Russia and Ukraine or whatever, like that, that something might happen and we might be there sooner than we think. I don't pay too much attention to the macro, what's going on. I pay more attention to what my deal looks like. Do I think my deal is solid? Does it cash flow? Does it have good tenants? Like if I focus on having good deals, I'll be able to weather whatever happens in the macro. Because people have been saying the sky is falling, like real estate's going to crash for like the last four years. Right. Um, it's too high, it's too high. And if I had not done anything for the last four years, I would be nowhere. So I've, I've gone so far in the last four years. So I don't see myself stopping because of scaredness in the market. I mean, maybe I want to not be as busy. So I want to spend more time with my family. Like that's a different thing. But because of what's happening in the macro economy, I don't think it, I'm going to stop. And yeah, I don't think there's a reason to stop as long as you're investing in good cash flowing solid deals because and that's one of the reasons why I moved towards the commercial with the higher cap rates because if you have a property that is at a, trading at an 8 cap and when it goes to a 9 cap it means your property has lost value because people are now requiring a 9% return instead of an 8% return so the value if you have the same income the value went down but that loss in value is much different from an eight to a nine than if someone got a four cap and it went from a four to a five. Someone who went from a four to five has lost a lot more value. On the flip side, if they have a four cap and it goes from a four to a three, they've gained a lot more value. But there's a lot more risk down there um, in those low cap rate ranges. So that's why I'm focused on stuff that has a healthier cap rate, a healthier cash flow that can sustain whatever might happen in the coming. It'll go down at some point. I don't know. But uh, I don't think I need to stop buying just because at some point the economy's, you know, the real estate's going to go down. Yeah, that's that's perfect advice right there. And it really just 
sums up the fact that one, nobody really knows what the future is going to hold. And two, that even though there may be fear in the market, um, as long as the deal is solid, it's still a good deal, right? So that's kind of how actually I, when I got into doing, when I started in real estate, it was actually like spring of 2020, full on like the peak hysteria of what's going on or you know, like no one knows anything. And, and I found a deal that was like too good to pass up and it was my first deal. So I jumped on it and went with it and, and it turned out to be, you know, an amazing deal so far, but it really just came to the faith of, I know that this is a solid deal. Like the, the cash flow just really works out. Um, I don't know what's about to happen in the future. I don't know if the real estate market's going to crash or, you know, the, the whole economy is going to crash or what, but, but right now, like this looks like a really solid deal and, and I went with it. And so I think just making sure that the deal is solid is, is just such great advice. And also the demographics of the area that you're investing in, right? So population growth is a good indicator. You don't want to be an area. Well, I don't want to be in areas that have declining population. So maybe you yeah. could go find cheap properties in Flint, Michigan, but everyone's leaving Flint, Michigan. They got horrible water. Um, sorry if anyone's from Flint. <laughs> um, but so like, that's why I like the Southeast, but even within the Southeast, I, when I'm investing in cities or areas, I'm always making sure that it's a growing population yeah. Um, because yeah. As long as people are there, they're going to, you know, they're going to need places to stay. They're going to places to eat, places to shop, like all those things. But if people are leaving, then then you could be in big trouble. Yeah. Then you got a little bit more to worry about. David, this has been truly insightful. I have been getting a ton of value about it out of it and uh, absolutely love your story. I love how you've gone from paddling the Zambezi into this whole real estate mogul, commercial properties. Um, I'm going to move us on to the next segment of the show that I call the fire round. Though first, let's take a brief moment and talk about the sponsors of our show. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to make sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can get NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's ultimate bandwidth, you'll never have to worry about slow connection either. And plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe. Or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Does your skin ever get the winter blues, feeling dry or dehydrated? It might be time to try Whey Melrose Place Body Cream. Fast-absorbing to nourish your skin when you need it most. It hydrates your skin and prevents dryness. It has high-quality nourishing ingredients like squalene, kukuasu butter, and coconut oil. So if you want to hydrate your skin and get rid of those winter blues, experience the new Way Melrose Place Body Cream and Body Cleanser. Your body, your way. Go to theway.com. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I 
com and use code believe b l e a v to get 15% off your entire purchase that's 15% off your entire order at theway.com code believe and i'm going to fire a couple quick questions at you that i ask all of our guests um first off david do you have a favorite quote or a current quote that you live by wow i guess i don't I guess I should have researched these questions, but no, I don't. I don't have a, a quote that I live by. I guess no. No worries. Um, do you, by chance, have a favorite book or a current book that you might be reading? Oh, "Never Split the Difference" um, is by Chris Voss is one of my favorite books about negotiation and stuff. And I've read it twice. I need to read it again. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, I also like "Secrets of the Millionaire Mind" by T. Harv Eker. It's a really short book but it really helps people like get past the mindset of what's possible for them. Um, Cause we limit ourselves so much by our thoughts. Awesome. I will have to check out uh, secrets of the millionaire mind. Uh, Chris Voss's book, never split the difference is another one of my personal favorites. And he's just got so many amazing advice when it comes to negotiating and, and really in all sorts of different arenas of life. So a great book for anybody that, you know, Negotiating is, is such a part that I think people don't realize that really has to do with almost everything in life. Uh, so yeah, really good, really good book. And so like just, I mean, I mean, I, I say to my friend because I get so much value out of it. But the, just if anyone's listening, here's a tip for you. If someone gives you an offer, you just say no. Like the first response, no matter what it is, whatever it is, you just say no. And then let them come back with another one. That right there is going to save you thousands of dollars. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for that. I love that advice. Um, David, if, if you had one piece of advice, if you were like had a time machine and you could go back in time and talk with a younger version of you, what would one piece of advice that you would give a younger David or even maybe like a, another younger real estate uh, investor or budding, uh, budding investor? Let me put it this way. I heard this from someone else and it's, it's sh uh, short-term generous, long-term greedy. So put all the time in the effort, like give all the profits away to your investors, whatever, not all of them, obviously, but be really generous, but set yourself up for the long-term greediness, right? So, so set yourself up for success way down the line and you'll become out way farther ahead. Um, whether it's someone's money, whether it's making sure you're really bringing value to a transaction and not taking more value than you're bringing. Like, yeah, whatever it is, just be um, short-term, generous, long-term greedy. Love that. It really just speaks to providing as much value as, as you can in, in every scenario possible. So amazing advice there. David, this is one of my favorite questions of the whole show. If today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done up to now um, all of your real estate, all of your, your mastermind, all your classes, your content, it was all to go away with you. And all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen. And you could write down three truths, three things that you believe to be true that you could leave for your family, for your friends, for loved ones, or just future generations. What might those three truths be? Oh man, you asking deep questions. I I, I got to prepare for these kind of things. <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh, three truths. Uh, nothing's more important than your family. 
um, you will be eventually compensated for the value that you bring. And you can never outgive God. Wow. I love that, David. Amazing advice right there. Very powerful words and three truths for sure. Something that I always try to do is give back as much value as I can because I've been gaining so much value out of this conversation. So David, is there anything that you're currently working on that I might be able to help you out with or possibly even my listeners? Uh, when the weather gets warmer, let's go kayaking. You can t- <laughs> It's a little chilly today, but yes, let's definitely do no, it. No, no, oh, man, I do not do good in the cold weather, but when it's warm, let's, let's go kayaking. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, have have you been down the you can teach me. Have you been down the Akoe yet since you've been back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. cool. Yeah, I've I've, I've done the Akoe several times. Um but it's been a while since I like I said I need to buy a new boat and everything like that. Um I just had my old boat. But yeah, no. Uh I definitely kayak, but you need to teach me how to do a I don't know, some tricks. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. We'll, we'll get on the water together. I'm excited. Uh, whether we'll meet up in Chattanooga or it, the Akoi anywhere, maybe you come to, to Rock Island or something like that. It's pretty, pretty friendly over here too. Uh, but I, I would absolutely love to, uh, to get you out on the water and, and help teach you some paddling. And maybe you can give me some more uh, real estate tips as well. So this sounds awesome. Um, David, for anybody that wants to continue along, learn more about your journey or just reach out, what might be one of the best ways for someone to connect with you? The best way is on my Instagram, um, DIY underscore landlord. If you DM me there um, with a legitimate question or, 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 or desire to connect, I, I respond to everyone who messages me there. Awesome. Well, if you guys have any desire to connect with a legitimate question or anything like that, definitely hit them up. Uh, DIY underscore landlord, uh, hit up David. And um, what is, for our final question, David, what is your definition of awesome? Oh, my definition of awesome is, is using all your advantages to make this world a better place. We all have advantages and we just need to use the ones we have to make the world a better place. I absolutely love that. David, thank you so very much for your time today. This has been such a phenomenal conversation. You've given us so many nuggets of gold, as I like to call it, and so much value that you have brought to this show. So thank you. For all my listeners out there, I hope you guys got as much value out of this as I did. Definitely check out David on his Instagram. If you guys are interested as well, look up his commercial real estate mastermind. Um, And yeah, I think there's so much, whether you're just getting into real estate or whether you're trying to evolve into some of those bigger deals, David uh, shared so very much with us. And I personally am now more excited than ever moving forward with my own personal portfolio. Um, if you guys again did get value out of this show, please, if you guys could help share this out to someone that you feel needs to hear this, uh, share it out with a friend, family member, or throw it up on, on your social media as just sharing it out. And, uh, it helps us build our community and our collective as a whole, which is, which is my whole goal with the show. 
So thank you guys for doing that. And as well, if you haven't already, please leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app that you're listening to, as uh, that would be greatly appreciated by myself as well. So thank you so very much for your time, David. And as always, I am Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all truly an awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.